0: Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? Jamie? Today we are going to take a road trip and a trip down memory lane with Stephanie Stuckey, the third generation owner CEO of Stuckey's. Yes, that's Stuckey's, the place with the turquoise roof, mustard orange sign and pecan logs offering travelers a friendly stop where they can relax, refresh and refuel. I had a blast talking about 1980s wood sided station wagons and today's electric vehicles with Stephanie and everything in between. Stephanie does an outstanding job conveying the past, present, and her vision for the future of Stuckey's. Buckle up and enjoy this 31st episode of Generation Excellence. So, Stephanie Stuckey, welcome to the Generation Excellence podcast. I'm so glad you said you'd do this, and I'm sure you've done this many times, but and you're probably pretty good at it, but I'd love for you to sort of tell the founding story of, of your Business, your company, the organization, like what was the inspiration of that first location in Eastman, Georgia? Because I don't know.
1: (laughs) You know, I never get tired of telling the story, even though, like you said, I've told it quite a few times in the past year since I bought the family business. So we were founded in 1937 by my grandfather, W.S. Stuckey. Mm -hmm. Everyone just called him Stuckey. It was during the Great Depression, which I love to highlight because so many brands that we love were founded during yeah. the economic hard times. And so I wanted to be inspiration to people that don't be deterred by tough times, financial times or like what we're going through right now with the pandemic. It's those tough times that really make people stronger and figure out the problems that we're all facing and how they're going to address them. And that's what any great business is. You've got a problem and you need to solve it for someone who's going to buy your product or service. And so my grandfather, it was during the great depression. He was farming. He hated farming in middle Georgia. I can only imagine it must've been miserable. And he started a side hustle and that's another thing you hear. I, I've started comparing right. founder stories <laughs> and like, what is what does Ducky's have that's similar with the Carvel ice cream story or the Kentucky Fried Chicken story. Yeah. And the Holiday Inn story. Like, I love these nostalgic brands. And what we have in common with quite a few of them is it was a side hustle. And he started buying up pecans from farmers and selling them to a shelling company. And he was marking up the price a little bit. And then he started taking the shell pecans and selling them on the side of the road. He had a little stand and people started stopping and he was paying attention to who's pulling over. And it, were, it was a lot of tourists coming from up north, driving mm-hmm. through Georgia on the old US-1, which was the route to Florida. And they the were on vacation. Flam- and he thought, there's a problem. Motorist back, this was back in 1935. That first stand was 1935, and we date okay. our founding to like the first store, so 37. Got it. So there was no roadside retail. I like to say we were the OG of roadside retail. There there wasn't pilot or loves or TA or any sure. of these places that we see now. And so he started thinking through what do they need? They need a place to fill up with gas. Yep. They need a cold drink. Of course, you need a place to use the restroom. And he was selling these pecans and he had access to them. Georgia happens to be the pecan capital of the entire world. More pecans are grown in Georgia than anywhere else. And it's it, the nut is native to the U.S. It's the only snack nut native to our country. So he was in pecan country. He had ample supply. So he was making these pecan snacks and then he would also throw in some souvenirs. so he just sort of figured out what people would want when mm-hmm. they're taking a long road trip. And back then, road trips were not easy. Cars broke down all the time. Yeah. You needed a place to pull over and you needed a place that was comfortable and you could get your car fixed, you could get something to eat. So that's what he started. He started Stuckey's. And he had Texaco gas, he had souvenirs, he had all the things that you might want. And it just grew from there.
0: So in the growing from there, I think as part of your stories go, you know, everybody loves today to talk about being data driven, right? But also data meets gut. So he would do this, what, I'm going to drive out around different routes and where <laughs> where I need to, I, I've had some coffee and where I need to go, I'm plopping the next door. I mean, how how, how mythological is that story? How real right? is that?
1: I'm gonna say it's real because if you tell it enough, it becomes real.
0: Okay, right, right.
1: My father said it was real. I did not hear it from my grandfather. Was twelve when he died, but I got it. Everything I I knew about him and everything I've read and heard from people who knew him well, that is completely consistent with my grandfather. And I love. I've got. I'm gonna use that data meets gut. It took me so the early
0: days of this business. Adding locations was, I mean, was it your grandfather's vision to sort of, you know, quote, blanket the U.S. with these these stores or be in all of the states? Or was it just do a few and, and serve people on the road? What was, I mean, what do you know of those stories kind of, of because it was a fast-growing operation in its early days?
1: His vision was to create a roadside experience, and that remains mm-hmm. our experience to this day and he had a saying that I've adopted and I use all the time and that's every traveler is a friend. Yeah. So he really embodied southern hospitality, a welcoming safe place where you could pull over and really celebrate traveling in America. And back then, this was before the airline deregulation act which was I think 1983, but it was in the it was in the 80s and domestic air travel Became affordable at that point, but many of us who grew up in the '60s and '70s, yep. especially if you had a big family, there are five kids in my family.
0: Four in ours. Yep. Yeah, we didn't. We
1: didn't. Yeah, we had the Woody station wagon, and we would go to Florida. That was yep. our vacation. And yeah,
0: we we were you know twelve hours to get to just where you were to go to Florida, and yeah, I was always in the back God. of the wagon looking at where yeah. we'd been. The the sort of turquoise roof, the, what do you call the col- the sort of yellow color with red of the logo, is all of that from the very beginning? Is that kind of, you know, sort of the design and and, and signature things that, that people saw on the roadside? When did that all come into being?
1: Those came about in the 1950s. And okay. I, you know, when listening to your podcast, I know you talk a lot about family businesses, I'm a 3G-er, or 3rd generation, and family businesses are really a story of resilience. And the way my grandfather adopted this architectural design that became synonymous with Stuckey's is part of the resilient story of Stuckey's. The Highway Act that Eisenhower passed sure. in the 1950s completely revolutionized travel in the country. And some say for worse. I think there could be an argument made for getting from one place to the other is absolutely fast as possible while for expediency's sake it makes sense suddenly all of these back roads in america were bypassed and you no longer get the sense of place when you take a road trip if you take the interstate you just you just see flat roads you're not going through towns you're not going through places you don't get to know what homes look like and you don't see people. So suddenly the Stuckey's were all bypassed when the interstate highway system was built. And my grandfather could have done what many businesses did that were roadside retail back in that day and just shut their doors or tried to stubbornly hang on and eventually go bankrupt. I mean, Route 66 is full of wonderful now shuttered special places that you know, and, and thankfully people are rediscovering Route 66 and there's a revival. But when that happened to my grandfather, he made a decision that he was going to move his business to the interstate. And he got shut down those stores and he did a couple of things. One was a coffee store you referenced where he figured out how far apart do I need to space my stores so that I can become the place that they want to stop. And so he would get in his car and he would drink a cup of coffee and when he needed to pull over and use the restroom, that's how far apart he would
0: space the stores. So for, yeah. So as a child of sort of seventies road trips, I'm going to know that sort of second iteration, which is the interstate version of stock use.
1: That's right. And yeah, not and, it's, that's, and I,
0: yeah, that makes sense.
1: But before that, there weren't that many of them. So it, they really right. did suddenly start sprouting like mushrooms, when the interstate highway system was being built because we were being built along with the interstate highway. My grandfather would, and he was a state representative, he was active in politics, and he was actually on the highway commission for Georgia, Jimmy Carter Uh, appointed him, who was then governor. And so he really studied, by joke, he was a road scholar, R-O-A-D-S, and (laughs) he studied the roads. He knew when the highway was going through an area and he would buy up property along the exit. And that's when he started figuring out a consistent architectural design. Before that, his stores were just different. They had a different look to them. Sometimes Uh, it would be opportunistic. He would buy an existing building and just convert it into a Stuckies. but there was no uniformity.
0: The uniformity standardization, kind of like you mentioned Holiday Inn and Stuckies, and where you get to the system a little bit. Yeah.
1: So you know that saying, don't let a good crisis go to waste. So he was the crisis. He had to suddenly make a very strategic gamble that he was going to shut his doors move to the interstate, and how can you make this as positive an experience as possible? So he started doing the uniform design, which people remember the Stuckies back in the 60s and 70s. It was in the late 50s. It was a sloped teal roof, and he had beautiful lattice ironwork on the front porch area. He had picnic tables. He had the mustardy yellow with the red, which that, is not uncommon. I mean, there's a reason right. why McDonald's and so many of so you, see, Wendy's, you
0: see it from afar. Yep,
1: they have the red and yellow for a reason. It may not be the best color combination from an artistic standpoint, but that's not what they're about. They're screaming "pull over, pull over, pull over," yes. and it works. And he invested and, heavily in billboards. Oh my gosh. So I know
0: the pecan. So roll, many billboards. <laughs> the pecan roll signature. The pecan log. What are the rub- what was the rubber alligators? origin what were those from about
1: just souvenirs that were popular at the time that okay. we continue to sell and because we had so many connections with florida i, I think florida that, and south georgia you know they're, they're just, so we had that, so many people going on us one and so we just flavor sold. or
0: taste of florida before you got there or after you left yeah, just on one classic
1: souvenir fair. I, a, I posted once on social media, was one of the most popular posts and asked, what were your favorite roadside souvenirs from Stucky's? And I got things like the Mexican jumping beans. The mm-hmm. We used to sell that. these wee wee willies. You know what that is? I wish we still had them. I think they're awesome. It's a little plastic boy and you pull his pants down, he pees in your face. I,
0: I kind of remember it, yeah.
1: Yeah, the dunking birds, on display, coonskin caps, know. snow globes, ashtrays that say put your butts here, any sort of state merchandise, the spoons, the plates, the thimbles, all of that, uh, magnets, magnets. Sure. Yeah, they the eat,
0: eat here and get gas. That kind of stuff. That eat you guys here did. and get <laughs> gas.
1: And I brought that T-shirt back to the vociferous opposition of some of our team, and I said, "Trust me, I'm getting so many people on social media asking me for this T-shirt. It's going to sell. And we've sold through two batches now. We have to Good. We need
0: order. we need to bring back the sense of humor. That's right. Founding founding era." Um, you know, we both are fans of generational family business, but also I think share fandom of you know rock music. So I don't know if you ever used to watch that behind the music. Remember those those documentaries on VH1? Yes. You know, yes. make it big, then the thing goes down, then it has the comeback. So what what was the transition like to the second generation? Smooth? Not smooth? How did that all go? Uh, I don't know as much about that that era.
1: Well, it was. Interesting. I wouldn't say smooth or not smooth because it wasn't really. It, well, it wasn't a transition from okay. first to second. Our story is unique, and I am not aware of any other company that has a family company that has the trajectory that we've had. My grandfather sold Stuckies before I okay. was born. Okay. So it completely fell out of family hands. He had two kids. My aunt. Who was not interested in the business. And back in that time, not a lot of women did take on family businesses. This was you know 1964 when he sold. And then my father pursued a different career. He ran for and was elected to Congress in 1964. So he had political aspirations. And so my grandfather reached the point where his health was failing and the company was growing. At that point, he had probably when he sold, he probably had about 300 stores, and over 30 states, and just okay. continuing to. My dad said, at that time, they were building a Stuckies every month. Like they were just bam, bam, bam. Yeah. They were building a lot now by today's convenience store and franchise levels of growth. That may not be a lot, but we were rapidly growing. No, and my grand- yeah, my grandfather didn't have the capacity financially or management wise and that doesn't mean he couldn't have done it but he was he was getting older and I Mm -hmm. think he was ready just to just to step back and he got a a very nice offer to sell to pet company out of St. Louis and they make evaporated milk and at the time they own Whitman's Whitman's sampler and so it was a good fit at the at that time the CEO of pet and my grandfather were very close. They worked out a great deal where my grandfather was head of the Stuckies division of pet. So he continued to be very involved with Stuckies and help run Stuckies. but he had this management team. He had the financial support and he was on the pet board and he, he got a lot of money for it. So life was good. This is a problem. And you see this with a lot of these nostalgic brands that get bought out by large corporations and it doesn't Mm -hmm. happen every time, but there's a lot of cautionary tales. Uh, I was thinking about Tom's Peanuts, which is a Columbus, Georgia based brand. And they've just announced recently that they're shuttering their Columbus, Georgia branch and their founder, well, he went bankrupt and he sold. And then it was just this rapid succession of corporate ownership. And the brand is is just so devalued from what it was in its day. And that's just one of hundreds of examples of classic brands. So that happened to Stuckey's, the CEO that my grandfather was close to at Pet died in his forties of a heart attack, completely unexpected. Okay. And then they promoted from within, no disrespect to accountants, but this was an accountant who they promoted. The CFO became the CEO and he was just looking at the bottom line. Finance minded, yeah. He wasn't looking at, we were a roadside oasis. We were this special fun experience. We sold Wee Wee willy and rubber <laughs> alligators. And
0: it's he not pure roles. numbers.
1: We were just this quirky brand and he didn't get that. And he's like, well, there's a lot of real estate, which is worth something. So we can sell mm. off real estate. And suddenly we became a line item and Stucky started to plummet along with external factors. There's an Arab oil embargo. There's an Airline Deregulation Act. People are taking road trips less. Flying is interesting and fun and it's cheap and it's fast. And then people stop stop driving in station wagons. They get SUVs and they have electronic devices. And the
0: road trip is right?
1: road trip. And so we plummeted when the road trip plummeted. And it was out of family hands for decades. And we got it back which so is yourself, what makes your so, you're, our so story different.
0: Grandfather was involved in public service, your father also and yeah. yourself too. That's so right. There's, there's dual paths of family, you know, two know, family right? businesses kind of that I you followed follow them
1: in both paths.
0: followed. And then I mean cuz it's there's common stories of people in these legacy businesses who go into politics or something. You have all that experience and kind of come into or buy back. So talk about the story of I guess getting your hands back on the Stuckey's brand property business when how did that opportunity come about or were you planning to do that for a while it's No, a I wasn't planning story. it at all.
1: I was perfectly happy with my life. Okay. I did not grow up in the business. It was out of family hands. My entire childhood, my father sure. got Stuckey's back when I was in college. And Without, I don't want to go. That's a whole separate episode. But basically, (laughs) it was a bit of a fluke that it ever got back in the family. That there had been rapid corporate takeovers, and Stuckey's was owned by a Chicago railroad conglomerate. And there was a lot of litigation related to Stuckey's. And you see this in franchising. And I'm an attorney by training, and so there's a lot of litigation involved with franchising. Is there consistency in how the Franchises are being run, and so the franchise franchisees were suing this corporation. And Stuckey's had become a liability; it was losing money, and they were facing litigation. Mm-hmm. And they were just looking to get it off their books. And my dad took it back Got for it. virtually nothing. But my dad was running like five other companies; he wasn't looking <laughs> to get Stuckey's back. My dad was a super successful businessman in his own right. He was the genius who came up with Dairy Queen stores should be on the highways. Sure. And Dairy Queens were small town America, but they weren't on the interstate. And my my dad went to the founder, the CEO of Dairy Queen, not the founder, the CEO, and said, you need to be on the interstate. I can put you on the interstate. And he gave my dad the franchise rights to Dairy Queens in the United States. So anytime you see a Dairy Queen on an interstate highway exit, thank my dad. So he had been doing that since the 1970s. He got out of Congress and started Interstate Dairy Queen Corporation. That was a full-time job. And
0: And then he also
1: had Popeye's franchises as a little side hustle, and he owned a bank, and he had a timber company. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, and here's Stucky's. (laughs) And so- he he merged Stuckies with Dairy Queen, and he was co-branding in the nineteen
0: eighties when people weren't co-branding. I remember the dual signs and the yeah. dual locations. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So
1: it made sense for where Stuckies was at that time. For me being nostalgic about Stuckies, I cringe because I'm like, Stuckies should be its own stores. We should have our standalone. But we we lost the candy plant. We lost our trucking company. We lost the billboard company. We had some company on stores. Those were gone. So it was a completely different company that my dad acquired, and it was part of his portfolio. So thank God for my father, he kept he got the company back in family hands, but he was running a bunch of other things. So how I got the company? Yeah, I had a career in politics, and then I became an environmentalist, and I was head of sustainability for the city of Atlanta. I left that and had been head of sustainability for an environmental. Firm in Atlanta, an environmental nonprofit, and was very happy in that role mm-hmm. and was making a very good living. I was also an adjunct professor of environmental law at the University of Georgia School of Law, my alma mater. So I had a lock awesome. going on. And then my dad's former business partners came to me and asked me if I wanted to buy their shares of Stuckies. They were looking to get out of owning Stuckies. They owned 49%. My dad owned 51%. They had all retired. A decade ago, they (laughs) sold their Dairy Queen company to Warren Buffett.
0: To Berkshire Hathaway, yep.
1: Because, yeah, Berkshire Hathaway. And unfortunately, my dad never got to meet Warren Buffett. But his signature was on the paperwork. So that I, you know, I said, I want to see his signature. (laughs) So they sold a decade, over a decade ago, and they all sort of retired at that point and left Stuckey's being run by literally a skeleton crew. I'm talking like wow. five people running the wow. company. It's pretty amazing. At that point, it was just a warehouse distribution center, a couple of sales reps, and a CFO, and a vice president, and the vice, and he was the vice president of everything. <laughs> Purchasing, and sales, and uh, human resources, what little bit there was. So it was amazing. The company never went bankrupt but it had been losing money for five years. And my dad's business partners were just hanging on to stock that was losing money. And they were going to sell to outside investors. And I was the only family member that was interested.
0: That's, I mean, that's so
1: awesome. I bought it. Yeah. I
0: Yeah. Road trips and journeys that, that business journey is fascinating. Yeah. Now in the seat you're now, is as you said, wearing a number of the hats, still a, a, a lean organization as you are rebuilding or reinventing or whatever words are being used. Are you first question is Are you able to bring kind of that because you're ahead of your time in that world of sustainability and that kind of stewardship? Are you able to bring that into the whole stocky's operation? Uh, and 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 then just what is your vision for the next few years for this business?
1: Uh, well, I am bringing some components of sustainability and it's key to know that sustainability is like a three-legged stool and it's mm-hmm. not just the environmental piece, but it's also the economic piece. And then there's an e- equality, equity, environmental sure. justice piece, right? It's really equity, but I had to balance out the e- economic aspect of sustainability when I took on Stuckies. And it's hard when you have a family business and you're a three G'er or even a four G'er. I can only <laughs> imagine I've talked to some who are five Gers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You you didn't start the company from anew. And so you want to come up with your own vision, but you have to be respectful of the past. And right. not only do you have to be respectful of the past, you've acquired and I'm different in that I didn't inherit this company, I bought this company. So right. I bought it caveat emptor as is. So there are a lot of things that I can't just wave a magic environmental wand and right. have us be completely sustainable. We've been selling gas for decades. The system that the, the business I bought, we do not have any corporate owned stores now. They're all independently owned and operated by only a handful of franchisees. And so for me to have electric vehicle charging, and by the way, I drive an EV, so I'm an (laughs) EV evangelist. I can't force them. Our franchise agreements were written before I came Mm. onto the company. They Mm -hmm. don't require them to have electric vehicle charging. It's expensive to install electric vehicle charging. The only company that installs for free is tesla but you have to meet their criteria
0: their standards yeah and
1: you also have to be within their charging desert where they have a gap because their chargers are extremely expensive and i i drive a, a tesla and i absolutely love it but you they've spaced them out sure so it's every 200 miles or so so there's all these criteria and i have tried i've put tesla in touch with some of our owners and they're Going back and forth. So we'll see. We do have a few locations that do fit their criteria. And that's just one example. So what I have done is I'm trying to be thoughtful about how I source product. Okay. Because we we source product. And so as much as possible, especially like ingredients, can they be locally grown? Can I reduce our environmental footprint and making sure that we buy from Georgia Grown? Yep. Cons, you know, Georgia Grown. Growers and can we have less chemicals in our product? Can we use product that is recycled material? So our packaging is all recycled content, corrugated cardboard. Our packaging, we did swap out our lighting for LED. That was Hmm. an easy fix. Until very recently, until we bought a manufacturing plant two months ago, we didn't own any property, so we really weren't in a position to have energy efficiency or solar. Okay, but those all require upfront. CapEx so we don't we're not in a financial position yet even though I know there's a good return on investment for energy efficiency to pay for that just yet but and not only that is managing it so it's not just like can we afford it there's a lot to manage and of course.
0: so right, I, not, as you said partner. it's not a magic wand
1: yeah so I have a s- sustainability plan we do have things we want to do it's just not going to happen overnight but we're getting there
0: that's great and i mean as we sit here in spring 2021 i mean this past year at least the american road trip still kind of existed i mean people were having to however they could or couldn't do that uh how, how many units are you right now how many locations
1: It's complicated. We have 20 standalone stores and then there's some 45 additional locations, which are what my father did, which were the co-branded. And he didn't just co-brand with Dairy Queen, he co-branded with some pilots and some BPs and a whole variety of people who have establishments on the interstate highway. And it's been, frankly, a mixed bag. Some of those locations look really good. Some of them look terrible. And I had to spend a couple hours actually yesterday d- trying to debrand one of our locations. You know, you have to give them 60 days' notice and the opportunity to cure the default, blah, blah, blah. And they're not serving our brand. The place looks awful. I would have never had them as one of our retail partners, but. Right, you good. have that.
0: It's, That's the the way I link, the
1: company, it's the company the link know? in a
0: chain right the the, yeah. the every one of those represents the brand and the company and you want them to, your worst performing store needs to be at some level right yeah, yeah.
1: it's hard and here's the other factor i mean how many miles date? how
0: many miles a year are you on the road
1: oh my gosh i need to check i a lot <laughs> sure a lot i i bought a hybrid because I let my son take the Tesla to college because <laughs> it's the safest car ever made. And I wanted, I trust, I trust Tesla to take care of him. So I brought a hybrid, bought a hybrid, which makes the road trips a little easier. So you easier.
0: can ha- plan out those road trips and maybe a little less time recharging. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I am doing my best to clean up the appearance of the stores. Sure. But the challenge is, and this is, this is, this was counterintuitive for me. When I took on the company, I had these visions of the stores and we were going to make the stores look fabulous. And the problem is that our franchise agreements give us really limited control. And not only Mm -hmm. that, we're not making a lot of money off of the franchise program. And we lack the capital and the capacity to really upgrade the stores to the extent that they need to be upgraded. And right now we need the income that we get from the franchises. So we're continuing to keep them onboarded, but My goal is to basically grandfather in the existing stores that look good. And we have some that look good, but slowly transition away from the franchise model. And the way I have been able to turn the company around, and within six months, we started showing a profit, even during a pandemic. The way we were able to turn it around was by selling our product. So people are buying our pecan log rolls, and it doesn't have to be a branded Stuckey's location. So we have rapidly expanded I our see. retail partners Great. and we have some 200 Ace Hardware stores that are selling us at their checkout counter. We have another big box retailer. I don't want to jinx it, but they are piloting us in five locations. So if that goes well, that could be an absolute game changer for us. Like overnight, excited we for you. That, have 1,400 locations, right? I mean, that's
0: proof. That's proof of the power of the yeah. brand, power of the product.
1: That's going to turn us around. So I realized like it was hard for me. And I think this is something that business owners have to grapple with. Like there's your vision and then there's the financial reality and you need to keep both in mind. Like if you get too focused on the vision and you're not monitoring your cash flow, right. And cash management, then it doesn't make, you can't ever achieve that vision. You're going to be broke. But if all you do is focus on the cash and you lose what makes your company special, that's a losing formula as well. So I had to look at what is driving profit for this company and it is the sale of our product. So I had to let go of my nostalgic, sentimental attachment to these stores and I haven't completely let it go. I have this vision as we gain in profitability that we're going to have some corporate-owned locations. And we're, they're Got going it. to be Stucky's Oasis, and they're going to be amazing. And we may just have five of them. That's it. But well, they will be destinations. they will be brand forward. And they will be... I would rather have five amazing locations than 100 that don't live up to my grandfather's vision and what he did.
0: Totally. So we're we're doubling
1: down on the manufacturers. We bought a candy plant. We bought a pecan shelling plant. And we are going to be, we are making, it will officially come out in June, the most delicious pecan snacks you have ever tasted. Oh, great. It's amazing. Like, I don't mean to, to smack down on the competition, but... But I taste snacking. the competition, and nobody is going to make a pecan snack that tastes as good as Stuckey's. How, how many pounds how many row.
0: pounds of pecans does Stuckeys use in a year?
1: You know, I don't know the pounds. We keep our records based on our packages, our okay. case pack. And I would have to go through and and total it all up. And not only that, we have the line items are different for. Sure. Yeah, you know, we have the pecan log rolls and we have it. We have different SKUs for each of the five different sizes, and each pack has a different case count. I mean, each case has a different unit count. I will get an answer for that. That'd be great.
0: But I don't but know. I, I mean, I can I totally I, I mean, I can tell and sense and feel, and, and, and you've conveyed it well through social media and other channels. Your passion for this business and this brand. And, and, you know, so you can live that, you know, all the time, if you will. Are there other family members involved with you right now in this venture?
1: I have a nephew.
0: Okay, my great. My
1: sister's son owns and operates two Stuckey. So he is okay. a Wonderful. franchisee and he is an incredible resource to me. And I'll reach out to him and get sort of the boots on the ground perspective of different product lines. And he'll be my guinea pig and let me test out product. If we're and is, not sure, something's going to sell. I'm like, all right, we're going to buy a small batch of this popcorn brand, this gourmet popcorn brand. Will you sell it for us? He's like, sure. <laughs>
0: and then you mentioned son in, in school. Is there potential of a fourth generation in this storied business?
1: Absolutely. My son okay. is majoring in some business-related major. He hasn't decided. He's a freshman at Auburn, and he's taking a lot of business courses. Cool. He, was thinking about majoring in economics. And then I've got a daughter who's in high school and she said she's completely uninterested in the family business. (laughs) What I'm not going to do is make her feel or my son, they have to take this on. And I got a business partner who he and I equally own the company. Turns out we're actually distantly related. So we're keeping it in the family that way. He is a pecan farmer. He's a third generation pecan farmer and he's helping me run the manufacturing facility. So that's that's somewhat of a succession plan since he's younger than me.
0: And as we were talking about, you know, you can live it and breathe it. What do you do yourself to kind of clear your head, get away from it? What are some of your other interests, pursuits?
1: I actually am pretty obsessed with my company. I have to say I spend a lot of time on the the company. My family, I mean, I have two kids, so... (laughs) I spent a lot of time with my kids. And what I do for fun is I take road trips. And it's not me doing this because I think it's good for the Stuckies brand. Like I have always loved road trips. Sure. Decades and decades yeah. before I bought Stuckies, I remember when I finished law school, what I wanted to do more than anything was travel cross country in a convertible with my best friend. And she and I hit the road and Nice. She sends me say she saved all those photos, thank God. And so I've been reposting some of them. It's kind of fun. And then when I was a kid, we did road trips. And yeah. I was just home and uncovered those photos. But I think there's a renaissance of the road trip right now with people emerging from quarantine and wanting to take trips, but reluctant to get in an airplane. And Short trips are fun, and they want to go see family members. Yeah, and it's
0: and a the great way and, to and the score. trip is part of it, the journey. I, I have a blog post yeah. coming out on the trip tick. You remember those, the map things from AAA? You know, they're like yes. you flip the page.
1: Yes. Some oh my gosh. G,
0: GPS. before Flashback. GPS. Yeah. 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 I mean, when we bring in the nostalgia to the and my why I'm posting it or why I think it's interesting is. You know, GPS will show you where you're going when you're going to get there, but it never ends. I mean, it's just a moving stream, but the triptych, at least you flip the page. Like you made some, you made some progress, you know, you're like, oh, I'm closer because I'm on yeah. to the next folio or whatever the heck they called it.
1: You know what um, I want? And maybe somebody out there has done this. I hate MapQuest and Google Maps, although I use them. Right. Because they show you the quickest route and they always take you on the interstate. You I can, can have, make I can have, can have an make... errand that's like 15 miles from my house, and they're gonna or 10 miles from my house. They're putting me on the interstate, even if
0: the <laughs> they have avoid the void highway. They have those those selects oh, you behind that? the scenes. Okay, you can so I gotta go discover the longer way. route, and then okay, your places. I'm
1: gonna get my I'm gonna get my teenage kids to show me how to use that because I always want to take the back road and. I use there's a wonderful app. Roadside America has an app and it's all these quirky fun roadside attractions like the world's largest peanut and the world's largest rocking chair. Pretty much the world's largest everything is in there. (laughs) These funky offbeat museums like the I just recently explored the Laurel and Hardy Museum. And they have places like that. Yeah, there's there's really a lot of fun. You know, small town America has some cool little locations yeah. to visit
0: and, I, I, and, and I love that stuff
1: uh, restaurants and stores
0: and we have one in northern Michigan that has an incredible coca-cola memorabilia collection yes which in Georgia would be common but uh, <laughs> no
1: I love that it, I would love that even here in Georgia and pops 66 on route 66 if you've ever been there it's like the world's largest collection of soda pop. They've got like I've heard of it. They align little, the walls. It's amazing. i have done little
0: pieces of the Route Six, the Route Sixty Six.
1: Yeah, me too. Uh, I've done, so you've like done stretches. You you,
0: you you are because you do road trips, I guess you listen to some podcasts, which is a nice thing about the podcast world. You've also appeared on a bunch of them. What is what is a story you haven't shared before on one of the podcasts that you've been on that you've wanted to tell, or maybe not wanted to tell.
1: I have not shared, and I think it's because this Administrative Professionals Day is coming up, so I've been really focused on promoting hmm. that for people to buy our product and send it that I was thinking about this because I was just researching this, and I thought it was really interesting that my grandfather rewarded his employees, and this is before ESOP's employee sharing sure. plans were a thing. He routinely rewarded his employees at all levels. I mean, it could be people on the candy line or in the machine repair shop or the sign painters. If they had been longtime employees, he would reward them with shares in Stucky stores. Wow. So they might just own a small share, but it was a sense of ownership and it was a sense of belonging and being part of something that was bigger than you. and. I love that I hear almost every week from a former Stuckey's employee or the kids of former Stuckey's employees who share these stories about how they loved my grandfather and it was a family. And so I haven't shared that. I haven't shared like that employee sharing plan and that it was it was at all levels. It wasn't just the when the organization was sold
0: to. When the organization was sold to pet, was that then meaningful to some of those people? You know, know what...
1: that's a very good question. My assumption, because it was an asset purchase, so they bought the entire company, including the stores. So the ownership shares in the stores would have been transferred to or the so my my grandfather did have some corporate owned shares. So his corporate owned shares, my assumption is it would have gone to pet. I'll have to ask my dad. And so yeah. at that point, they would have gotten a buyout, right? They would have just gotten a a check for their share, but maybe not. I
0: could no, that's 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 very nice. And then I
1: know they got annual dividends, and I posted that actually on LinkedIn today, so I haven't shared it on a podcast, but I did post on I posted it yesterday that my dad and my grandfather's secretary. And back in the day, they called it secretary. So I'm not trying to be—it's
0: okay, right? Inappropriate.
1: Now it's administrative professional, but or executive assistant. But he paid her $75 a week, but she got $16,000 a year in dividends from Super. owning a share or shares of some stores.
0: No, that's that's a great story. And I also see you've shared or posted over the years the the company got letters from fans. Know people who you made their day yeah. on a trip, but some of them were, you know, what would have been the most influencers of their time, yeah. right? The Hollywood royalty and things like that. So, yeah,
1: Bob Hope and yeah. Bing Crosby.
0: Sure, in their in their cars on the road and having having a great experience. Uh, I love
1: that. You know, there's all sorts of pop culture references to Stuckies over the years that I am fortunate that I the repository of all that. Now I have the Stuckey archives. And so I see old episodes of designing women and Murphy Brown. There's a Murphy Brown reference okay. to Stuckey's or late night with David Letterman. We used to be in the top 10 list quite frequently. Yeah. Stuckey's he makes a good joke.
0: <laughs> right now it was, I, I, I mean, that was when I told people I was going to be talking to you. It was both the, for those depending on people's age, their experience their memories the nostalgia but also sometimes that it was a punchline because of yeah i think it was things like the the cynicism you know the home office in indiana for david letterman right yeah and i love his that. experience but i mean it's, em- it's embrace publicity. it all right
1: yeah i mean we are sort of this kitschy brand that's yeah. got a little bit of a lowbrow side to us like eat here and get gas is our most popular t-shirt so <laughs> you know like You can either embrace your brand or you can deny it. And I'd rather just say, all right, this is who we are. And it's authentic that I'm okay with us being a, you might be a redneck if joke, which we are, by the way, I think it's, you might be a redneck if your dad's legacy to you was a Jerry Clower autograph on a napkin and Stucky's pecan log rolls. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, thanks, Jeff Foxworthy. I love that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm a I'm a fan. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I ask everybody at the end of these these interviews what the most fulfilling thing is for them about this generational business. So what would that be for you, Stephanie Stuckey?
1: I just think the opportunity to show people that you can be a comeback. I yeah. think it's really exciting to take something that has plummeted really, and my dad rescued it somewhat, but then my dad retired. And so I've got a company that had been losing money for five years that nobody wanted. And I was always the one, if you go to the pound, I wanted the puppy that just looked pathetic. (laughs) I wanted to take it home and fatten it up and bring it back to life and
0: you got so, fixer in you. Yep.
1: I'm a I like fixer uppers. I like a challenge. And this is so meaningful because it is my family and our story is unique. It is. We no other family, third generation or any family business before like we lost this business. Sure. It was taken over by corporations and trashed.
0: Yeah, you hear we about the founders sometimes buying yeah. something back after a brief period, but not like this.
1: Yeah, there was, and now I'm forgetting, it was a um, barbecue brand, right, that fell out of hands by the founder, and then he never got it back, but he's on the board now. It was on one of the uh, How I Built This episodes. Yeah, I'll have to- I'll have Weber, to, maybe? No, no. No, okay. It wasn't Weber Grill. Um, it was a sandwich. It was like a barbecue sandwich chain. Uh, got it. Oh, 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 wait, famous- <laughs> Something famous.
0: Famous days?
1: Fame wait, they're bar no, they're um su- They're subs, right? Oh this no, a- they're not. It's like days, no, something famous barbecue.
0: Well anyway, it'll come to he us did right not after.
1: Buy it back. He got on the board though, and he to became kind of
0: Oversee it and okay. keep it and steward it.
1: Yes. So that well, was definitely similar. I, I, I mean
0: I, I I thank you for sharing this these stories and 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 hopefully we convert and get some more people to stop in their their trips at stockies and experience it in its current way Uh, but thanks for gracing us on generation excellence
1: yeah thanks for having me
0: thank you for listening special thanks to sam daly eric head and joel bienenfeld at smz for helping make generation excellence well excellent until next time i'm jamie michelson